planet Earth about to be recycled. Your only chance to survive or evacuate is to leave with us. That we're living in the final part of the last days, undoubtedly the final part of the final part of the last days. Shortly before the last day of the last day. I'm sorry, what? There are a lot of crazy things happening around the world right now. And with all that's happening, I think it makes sense for people to be asking questions like, is this it? Is this the end? Some things might seem crazy, but is it that crazy to start paying closer attention to the book of Revelation? That's what we're gonna be talking about on Sunday, June 26th for the Apologetics Canada Literary Expedition, where we will be discussing the topic of Revelation. Is this the end of the world? as we know it. Why don't you head over to apologeticscanada.com slash ACLE to learn more. Hello and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here today with Steve and a new friend, maybe someone new to you guys. His name is Alonzo Paul. How are you doing today, gentlemen? Doing great. Very well. Alonzo, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Alonzo is one of our adjunct speakers, and so we felt it would be fitting to have him come on the podcast so AC audience could get to, get to know him better. Hopefully by the end of this call, someone says, hey, I want to bring him out. And if all of a sudden at the end of the call, you're like, I don't ever want to bring him out, we did our part, okay? We can only do so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm yeah. just kidding. Um, just briefly, yeah. Alonzo is an international speaker with extensive public speaking experience. He is passionate about making sense of life through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Born and raised in Calgary, Alonzo became a Christian in 2009 after wrestling with drug addiction for over a decade. Before full-time ministry, Alonzo worked in the oil and gas sector. He held a corporate position for several years before entering the commerce world. I'm not going to read your whole bio because we want to get to know you from your own voice. Alonzo, welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. It's such a pleasure to be here. And it's so nice to finally like be in the same space and, and meet you guys in well, virtual space and meet yeah. you guys. You guys have been wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I love the podcast. If anybody listening today has not listened to the episodes, you need to check yourself and go in, and back and, and listen to a bunch of them because they are such high quality stuff. So really love what you guys do, what we do now. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I was actually pretty stoked when I heard that you were joining our adjunct speaking team because uh, I've actually seen you in action before through various things. And, uh, and I was like, man, this guy has a great stage personality, if you will. There, there are certain kind of presence that people can bring like it alonzo you got it and you're comfortable talking with people and you are knowledgeable in what you speak but man what the thing that i love about, about you the most is the heart behind it it's so evident that you love jesus and you love people and this is something that it, if our listeners have been listening to our podcast for any length of time you know that our sort of motto is love God, love people. And yeah. I see you, Alonzo, do that really well. Oh, that's, that's sweet of you to say. Thanks. I'll, I'll make sure to um, send some money your way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I take interact e-transfer. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'll take Bitcoin, please. Right. Yes, please. Right. Oh, my gosh. 
Uh, yeah, Alonzo, thank you so much, man. It's uh, I, I'm excited to to get into this. And so, with 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 no further ado, Alonzo, tell tell us who you are. Like, how did you get into the apologetics world? How did you? I want to I want to hear the meat, man. How did you How did you come to know Christ? The unabridged. Yeah, there you go. Everybody that's listening, just take a sip of your your coffee or your tea or your beer. I don't know what you're doing right now. Um, <laughs> just take a sip and and I'll I'll, I'll begin. So. I actually didn't grow up in a, a proper Christian home, uh, as you and I would know it. It was more of a nominal Catholic home. So it was more, we went to church on Christmas, Easter, those sorts of things. It was more fire insurance, really, than anything. Like, just in case there was a God, it's like, yo, we need to like check these boxes and we'll be Gucci on Judgment Day. Right, right, right. And so we're like, okay, like, that's cool. But I had zero um, understanding of who Jesus truly was, the significance and relevance of, and the hope in the resurrection, like things of like deep, like very basic and ordinary Christianity. I had zero comprehension of. And so that was, that was really great for a while. And we're in Calgary, we're doing Calgary things. And our house was a really happy home for, for many years. We play Monopoly and all of those things that bring families together and divide them. <laughs> and it was one day it was, you know, there's lots of details I won't get into, but eventually my parents got a divorce and it was a pretty, it was a pretty messy one. It was a pretty hectic one. Mm -hmm. And so immediately I felt like our happy home had been shattered. And what happened after that is I think super common. If we're just all honest, um, even at 12 years old, um, even though I couldn't put language to it, this is what I was doing was I was just, I needed to cope. And so we all just grasp after coping mechanisms to help bring back some sort of equilibrium to a dynamic that has just been shattered. So what I unfortunately did, I didn't have sports or anything like that. So I fell into a group of dudes that just brought me into their community, sort of speak. And it was a group of dudes that was just into that life of smoking weed, drinking, partying, and those sorts of things. And immediately, you could just get the sensation of equilibrium as soon as you're intoxicated. Mm. And so I just naturally, I gravitated to that. I didn't have role models necessarily in my life um, that, were, that were really telling me, yo, this is not a good path. This is not a path to life. You need to get away from this. So I just got sucked into it like it was a black hole. And that was my life for a, like a number of years, our religion um, just ev totally evaporated. Mm. Um, my mom, who really, really struggled at that time, uh, and my dad, and just a little footnote, my mom and dad are awesome, just by the way. They're amazing. And I'm so close to both of them now. Um, so this is like what my mom calls the dark years in our life. Right. So just like, just make sure you run it through that filter. So my mom's really struggling at this time. She labels it her dark years. And this is my mom trying to find herself at the bottom of a bottle in a bar virtually every single day. And she's still working in all of those sorts of things, but is really just lost herself after the divorce. And my dad, similarly, he, he moved uh, cities um, like a 30 minute drive away and just remarried rather quickly to a, a lovely lady. But just, <coughs> I felt like I had been you know, I lost my family. I felt abandoned yeah. and really struggled with things like anger and loneliness and anxiety and depression, um, even if I couldn't put the language to it. And so that was really my life for, for 
all of high school, eventually just getting rowdier and rowdier. And I got kicked out of my mom's house, moved to my dad's house, got kicked out of my dad's house, and then moved to the hoodish part of uh, Calgary in the Northeast. Anybody that's listening, uh, they know Mar- my, my place is Marbank Drive, man, right by Marlboro Mall. And um, people that know Calgary will know what I'm saying. And my life just, I was about 18 at the time and just really took a nosedive down, uh, even worse than it already was. So one day a friend of mine gave me opiates. So um, if anybody doesn't know what opiates are, Oxycontins, Percocets, Morphine, Special K. um, And I just became an addict so quickly. So on on the weekends, you know, like I would wake up and snort rails. This is how bad my addiction was. And um, I'm snorting rails for breakfast, let alone what I'm doing in the evening times. Weekends, blow, going out drinking, going to the club and all of those sorts of things sketchy people in my house, people smoke crack in my bathroom, like all sorts of different things. And I just remember during those years, just for the, there were these punctuated moments. And I feel like these are graces from God, you guys, um, that you sit back and you're just like, yo, I feel like I was just playing Monopoly with my family. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I feel like how do, how did I get here? You know? And, um, so I would have those moments, um, whether it was when I came close to ODing or the time I almost got murdered. Um, I guess I should get into that story. Just- <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I, we're not going to let you get away with that. <laughs> just just yeah, yeah, yeah. give like, us all the, all the details. Right What's- there. Yeah. God is good. Amen. Mm-hmm. One night I'm at, I'm at the club. It's a Caribbean club. I'm Guyanese. My dad's Guyanese. So it got crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're like doing some blow, smoking weed, having drinks, all these sorts of things. And then we go to my buddy's house at the end of the night. And so we like smoke a little bit more weed. And then like, we go to sleep and I'm sleeping on a couch and I'm laying like, like this. So anybody that's not watching, you know, I'm laying down, you know, horizontally, on, on the couch. And this guy that I'm staying at his, at his house, he has a drug induced schizophrenic episode. No. Wow. He had these voices that said, you need to take a knife and you need to chop off Alonzo's head. He, so he takes this blade and chops right here, just like an inch or so above my jugular. So I wake up Needless to say, wow. you know what I mean? And I'm like, what one? Like, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> <laughs> and then he swings again and clips me in, in my hand. I push him off me. I get out. Long story short, I eventually find uh, a hospital and he hit me so hard. It hit the bone back here. Thank God. It hit me so hard. I bled internally in my brain for three days. So I'm having a lot of time to reflect in the hospital. You know, wow. Alonzo, again, how did your life? And I felt like these were inklings of grace from God into my life saying, Alonzo, I set before you life and death. Choose life, man. And so at the same time, I started working at a hip hop clothing store, which was the front for selling crack cocaine. And this was not a good place to be. Everybody carried guns, um, you know, all sorts of shady things going on at this place. And I'm full blown in my addiction. I'm 
doing rails of, of drugs off the cash register as I open up the store in the morning. I love the business side, but the guys that I'm working with, um, they just love selling drugs. And so I'm doing this thing. And at the same time that this is happening, my sister just gets out of this abusive relationship and her friend invites her to church. Now, this is where like grace is going to turn from a trickle into like a, a, a stream. <laughs> she gets invited to church and she changes. You know how Christians always say like, oh man, like, you know, joy and I'm like transformed and I'm a new, I'm telling you the truth from like a former drug addict's perspective. This was a different human being ontologically mm -hmm. speaking. It's like not even my sister anymore. And she's happy, which is wow. like, oh my gosh, what are we all pursuing? It's like happiness, yeah. man. <laughs> And so, yo, check it. So she says to me, Zo, man, you need to come. So, sorry, uh, my, my friend's family, they all call me Zo, which is a little easier to remember for somebody that can't remember Alonzo. <laughs> She's like, Zo, man, you need to like come to this church. And I was like, bun your church. I would never go there. And she's like, no, 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 you'll, you'll like it. And I said to her, and I, I remember this just so clearly of, you know, her name is Tasha. Tasha, why would I go to this church? I already feel so ashamed of who I've become and they would only make me feel more ashamed mm. of who I am. And she's like, no man. And you know, somebody that finds something amazing, they don't give up. So all you evangelists out there and you found Jesus, like don't give up. If somebody's like, no, bun your Jesus. No, no, no. It's like, a, I, I don't know. I'm a big Nando's guy. Yes. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> I was like, they should pay me because everywhere I go, I speak about Nando's. You know what I mean? Like, it's real talk. And so if I'm like, I will drag somebody to Nando's. You have to taste this chicken. It's yes, incredible. Sir. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, um, so she was that same way, persistent. And eventually she was like, she, she adopts a language and a vernacular that I could translate and track with. And she says, Alonzo, there's good vibes there. You'll leave feeling better. And so I was like, okay. Um, and so I went and you guys, I just feel like I had been lied to my entire life about the person of Jesus. Like nobody told me who Jesus truly was and is. This guy that would be on the side of the tax collector and the sinner and the prostitute on the side of the oppressed and the marginalized, the sick, the poor. I was like, this guy shows them love that is unconditional and unparalleled. The very people that everyone, I think, in, in my world would say that they're not worth loving. Amen. And Jesus says they are worth loving. And I remember thinking to myself, if Jesus could love them, then maybe he could love me too. So, so for me, the beginning of the conversion story wasn't intellectual. It wasn't, let me tell you 12 points of why I believe that God exists. And Aquinas <laughs> is five proofs and like, rah, rah, rah. It was, I was drowning and needed hope. I was yeah. drowning and needed a lifeline to clutch and to rescue me from from my life. And Jesus extended his hand. I just have to ask, you said 
you felt like you've been lied to your whole life about Jesus. And you told me a little bit about, you know, the the true Jesus that you've discovered at this point. But just for the point of contrast, what was your conception of Jesus, the kind of Jesus that you were kind of fed, if you will, you were given as you were growing up, perhaps, or even as you were struggling with addiction, what was your view of Jesus then? Okay. Have you guys ever read Larry Hurtado? No. No? He's a, a biblical scholar. He's passed away. He passed away from cancer. And uh, he writes a lot about the origin of Christian belief. You know, like what happened during that first like couple hundred years? Um, did they think that Jesus was divine like right away? Like, or was that developed or whatever? And he wrote this little book. Um, I think it was a lecture and they put it in book form. And it was like, why on earth did anyone become a Christian in the first 300 years? That's like the question that he's going to wrestle with. And he's like, is it that they believed that this was just a great set of morality and rules? It's like, okay, like, let's test that theory. Okay. Um, these Christians for the first 300 years were fed to the lions and eaten alive, literally. They were either eaten or they were, you know, beheaded, like the, the rampant persecution. You guys know the story. Yeah. And so all of this is taking place. And he, th he thinks to himself, he, he's like, would you do that for some more rule, for some set of rules? Like, oh man, loving your neighbor. What a great idea. <laughs> it's so good. Like I should die for it by yeah. some severe torture, like being lit on fire or something yeah. like that. He's like, no, it's so absurd. And I think I had that same sort of view of, I thought the Bible, this compilation, this, this, this canon of various types of literature was just a sophisticated, very long-winded and verbose rule book. Mm. And I thought Jesus was just like that climactic figure of like the rule giver. I just thought right. that he was just like the, you know, man, if anybody, if everybody set the bar this high with their rules, gosh, Jesus just took it to the next level. You know right. what I mean? And I thought that that was the way of, of Christianity and, you know, obey, obey these rules and you'll kind of like, God will like let you in kind of begrudgingly, mm. but he'll let you in maybe. That was my conception. But what I found was something like radically different than that. That's like yeah. not the gospel. That's not the gospel at all to like, oh man, like you're invited to like follow these things. So yeah. God does want to make you in his image. And, and that has some extrapolations that Stephen can um, elaborate yeah. for us. <laughs> but here is the point. My conception was of a ruler, a, a judge, a, a, a moral example that would just crush me. But what I discovered was this person that was grounded in history, alive today, that invited me into life and life as in a relationship with God. And that's a crazy thought. If you're like coming from outside of Christianity, just like think about it. You know, we'll say to people, uh, uh, oh yeah, this morning I spent time with God, you know, kind of like as an afterthought sort of thing. And it's like, whoa, wait, what? You spent time with God in your quiet <laughs> time in the morning? Like how crazy is that? Right. That's nuts. And so I just, I think I just was shocked and surprised and taken aback by this possibility that I could experience love from God in a relationship with God. And he would talk with me and, and yeah. help me. And God knew I, no one needed to convince me of my sin. 
You know, that was, right. that was helpful language to me. I could properly diagnose what was going on. You know, if anyone's been to the mechanics or a doctor, you want to write diagnosis. That's right. And so, and Jesus properly diagnosed me, but he didn't leave me there. Mm. He wanted to be with me. And um, so, yeah, Steve, that was a long way of responding to your question. But I think that that's what I encountered. That was what was going through my head when I felt like, gosh, I felt like I'd been lied to my whole life wow. about who true Jesus truly is. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Like, I just, I mean, I'm a, I'm a sucker for testimonies, you know, and uh, I just, I just love hearing people's, people's journey to the faith, regardless of, you know, regardless of what they've gone through. You know, one thing that happens when you talk to a lot of young people, you ask them about their, their testimony and they're like, oh, my testimony is not very crazy. Now, testimonies not didn't go through very much. And I'm just like, wow, amazing. You know, it's like, but that's your that's your story. Because yeah. people need to see that God God is going after people in every avenue, in every space that they're in. And if you think that the only people he's looking for are those who have gone through, you know, for, for example, in your case, have gone through some serious trauma, then then you're limiting God. And and he's after he's after everybody, but at the core of our being. We all are. We all are broken. So thank you for sharing that. Just to piggyback on that, Troy, um, my testimony is a little bit like that, right? Because I kind of grew up all my childhood. I grew up a Christian, right? So, and there is a certain way of sort of elevating these drastic conversions, usually involving some kind of drug addiction or God saving you from that and all of that stuff. So. Alonzo, I want to ask you, what would you say to somebody like me or somebody else who kind of grew up in that Christian environment, doesn't have that sort of, you know, dramatic conversion experience, but kind of grew up in that setting all their lives and think perhaps, oh, you know, my story isn't that crazy. What would you say to that? Yeah. So I've thought about this a lot because my wife, her name is Khadija. Um, she's East African, Tanzanian and Punjabi. And she grew up in a Muslim home, Muslim slash, um, Nirankari, which is like a denomination of Sikhism, like a branch of Sikhism. Okay. And she, she has a wild story at the very beginning. And I'm going to get to your, to your question. So she, um, at five years old, she goes and sleeps over at her cousin's house, who is a Christian. So Khadija is like half Muslim, half this branch of Sikhism. Okay. How those could be compatible. (laughs) God only knows. Right. Right. And so she gets invited over for a sleepover. She's five cousins, five, her cousin's Christian. And at five years old, um, the cousin says to her, Khadija, you need to um, believe in Jesus. And she's like, great. (laughs) Awesome. No problem. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, like I'll just put them in my sort of inventory of deities. Mm-hmm. Right. Great, man. And, and she's like, no, 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 no. This five-year-old, eh? She just spot on with her apologetics. No, only Jesus. Exclusively Jesus, you have to. And she's like, I don't know. Like, can't I worship uh, Babaji, which is the, the guru of the Sikhism bit, and, uh, and Muhammad and Allah and, and all that on the Islamic side? She's like, no, Jesus loves you. And he died for you on the cross so that he can forgive you of your sins. It's got to be only Jesus. And in her five-year-old, innocent, pure faith, latches onto, okay, 
only Jesus and becomes an in the closet Christian for 17 years. Wow. And like, and so like when she would go to mosque, for example, and they're doing their prayers, she would be doing it to Jesus and not to Allah. Wow. And eventually she, she, she has to tell him, but all of that is to say in her testimony, she doesn't have this, yo, I killed somebody, you know, sort of testimony. It was very chill. And Steve, like, I love your question. And I try to encourage everybody that has a similar sort of testimony uh, about, uh, you know, I wasn't in the mafia. I didn't do drugs and I didn't kill anybody. My view is that those testimonies, like they're interesting to listen to, but they come with a lot of scars as well. I think that there's a high cost to those sorts of testimonies. Praise be to God. He turns those scars into messages and so on. When I look at my wife's testimony, where it's rather without so many scars, I get envious. Mm. I'm just like, God, like God saved you from so much stuff, so much baggage, so much trauma, so much suffering and hurt. And so when I hear someone like Steve, I'm like, like, praise be to God that he is just so active in your life in the beginning. Yeah. You know, uh, some of those memories of my own story and journey before Christ, it's like, man, like, I wish I could get rid of that stuff. You know, like, mm-hmm. if I could, I would. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I remember reading G.K. Chesterton once and he talked about how, you know, all these things look glamorous on the outside, right? Like, say, a blind man, right? When you look at a blind man, there's a certain sort of glamour to it in the sense of, man, here's a man who's, you know, living through a life, fighting through his, overcoming his difficulties and all those kinds of things. But it still takes a blind man, right? To him, this is not glamorous at all. To him, this is painful. To him, this is, he just wants to get his sight back, right? Um, I mean, he's coping, right? Now without his sight, he's coping. Um, but, But this is not where this person probably wants to be. And sometimes we get into this conversation uh, with any kind of disability, for example, because um, we had actually an episode a long time ago about disability and the gospel. And we seriously, we've had Christians saying that, you know, if there was some kind of a drug or some kind of medical technology that's developed to cure my son or my daughter's condition, I would not take it because this is how God built them. I'm just like, oh my goodness, like, do you not remember that Jesus came to heal these people, to set these people free from their blindness, from their lameness, and all these things? And just put yourself in the shoes of that child who is struggling with whatever condition it is, right? Yeah. You you may, it, it may seem, maybe... Maybe glamour isn't the right word. It may seem like, wow, this is such a great thing. He's overcoming challenges. But the kid just wants, wants these difficulties gone. It takes, in your words, Alonzo, it takes scars. It leaves a lot of scars, yeah. so to speak, to go through all of that. So I really resonate with what you are saying. And, and I, I would say there may be, even for somebody who grew up in a Christian home, there may be scars that you actually don't know about. And, and that was the point I was going to say. The waters may seem calm on the surface, but underneath, you know, there's currents, right? The, there's different things that have been pulling people away from Jesus. And, you know, I mean, you think about it for the example of Paul's story of coming to know who Jesus was versus 
versus the, the rich young ruler who saw Jesus to his face. But the rich young ruler, he made his decision, but he was clearly very well off. You know, there wasn't this feeling of, oh, I have a need for Jesus. And it, and so, that yeah, speaking to young people sometimes, it's it's like, trust me. You know, me being an adopted kid, like, trust me. If if I didn't have to go through all the 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 heartache and and the challenges growing up and and the trauma to so to speak of understanding that I don't know who my biological parents is do you really think I would do that twice no no chance but it has made me an even better father now it doesn't mean that you need to go through that to be a good father but that's that's this whole thing of surrendering these things to the lord that's ultimately what it is lord i surrender my story to you and if more people can do that you're going to stop doing this testimony comparison thing, but <laughs> who's had it worse kind of thing, right, right? Right. Yeah. Gaslighting in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. So c- continue your story. So what happened after that? So I had this bro of mine um, and he would come and pick me up from my house every Sunday. Just gosh, if you're looking for a way that you could serve God in an impactful way, you could reach out to somebody and just drive them to church and take them out for lunch afterwards and just be a friend. I had never had somebody be a stranger, be that kind and thoughtful and concerned about my well-being as this, this guy. His name is Brad Brownell. And he picked me up. I'd be like smoke a joint, waiting for him to come pick me up for church. And then he'd pick me up. And then we go to church and I, you know, this is going to sound strange to some, but I remember just sitting down in those church services and just like weeping for the first few months. Just, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you just feel like the pastor is just reading yeah. the mail. He's just yeah. speaking right yeah. to you. Yeah. And we know it's not the pastor. It's, it's God and his word. That's just penetrating to the deepest, most inward parts of you. And I had that experience for, for months. And there was one day that the pastor gave an altar call. And I don't know, some mixed reviews on altar calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Play the synth in the background, Holy yeah. Spirit comes. Oh, rocks yeah, up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and then <laughs> raised hand. But I like I can't I can't throw that much shade because that's how I got saved. I, I raised my hand. Like if you want to call it saved, right? Um I raised my hand when he gave that call. Hey, do you want to make heaven your home and, and, and Christ your Lord and your savior and be forgiven of your sins? And just a very basic, very ordinary sort of invitation to open up the door of your heart to Christ. And I said, yes. And that's when things just changed. Um, I felt um, brand new in the language of the New Testament and some of those great theologians like Martin Luther. I felt brand new. I felt like I had entered into the pearly gates already. And it was not easy. So anybody that thinks like, oh man, you convert and like everything sorted. It was like, no, it got like really sucky after. <laughs> it got really hard. So basically I had to quit my job at this hip hop clothing store because they're again selling drugs. Uh, two weeks later after I quit because I couldn't morally be there anymore and wasn't strong enough to try and like convert them or something like that. Uh, they got shut down by the police. Wow. Two weeks. God is wow. all over this man. And so two weeks, boom, store closes. Cool. 
guy is so mad at me. He says, um, he feels like he's blaming me for some of this stuff. He says, Lonzo, next time I see you, you're done for. So I have to like move. And so I move in with my brother, uh, my brother-in-law and my sister and my brother-in-law, he gets saved at the same time as me. So my sister invites him and invites me. Wow. So before my brother-in-law, we're like going to the club together. Now we're like getting saved together. And now we're right. all living together and they're just really helping me um, live sober. So the Lord, somehow I can't explain it. The, the metaphysics of it, of he just broke the addiction in me. Amen. I smoked so cigarettes good. for a while afterwards, smoked weed off and on, but the opiates, um, wow, just completely broken. And so I l- learned how to live soberly with my brother and sister. And we just went to Bible studies and we took classes and we were going to church and we were serving. And my life for the very first time felt like it started to have some sort of purpose. Mm. It was redeeming all that was broken. And so I started restoring my relationship with my parents, started having like lots of great conversations with my mom and helping her get a little bit less lost and started to reconcile with my dad. Hey, dad, I was really angry with you. Now, like 10 years later, my dad and I talk almost every day on the phone. It's just awesome like what God can do in the restoration and reconciliation within relationships. My mom is a born again Christian now. So she'll like, I'll be texting her, you know, hey, mom, I have this problem. And she'll be like, Alonzo, are you inviting the Holy Spirit into this? You know, <laughs> just like, come on, mom. <laughs> radically different than, you know, being at the bottom of a bottle in a bar. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And this is what God can do in the life of a family. And same thing with my sister. She's serving the Lord. And my brother, my brother really became my, my, my brother-in-law became like a father figure. He came into my life at 16. Uh, that's when him and my sister started dating. And so I'm 34 now. So half my life. And he got saved at the same time, really became a father figure, a mentor. And we just loved to talk about the Bible together. Yeah. And then C.S. Lewis, in his book, A Grief Observed, he said in one of his bits, he's like, uh, you don't know what you really believe until it becomes a matter of life and death. He's like, if you have this rope and that's like your faith, and it's like one thing if you use this rope to tie up a package, you know, like a present. And it's like, cool. It's like not a life and death sort of thing. But if you have a rope and you're hanging over the precipice, um, it's a different ball game. Yeah. And so my brother in 2017 got diagnosed with cancer. And that's when things like Alonzo is this like really real, aside from, from what he was going through. So he got colon cancer first, and then it metastasized his liver. He got these operations in between and then metastasized to his lungs. And, uh, and then in 2019, February 3rd, uh, in Arizona, I was holding his hand. We were praying together and uh, he passed away from, from cancer. So he's like just a real integral part to my story of being the man that I am today, mm-hmm. uh, just like encouraging each other to, to follow Jesus relentlessly and with integrity and compassion. And um, yeah. Those were just some of the best years, even though it was really hard making hard decisions, um, you know, getting sober and all of these sorts of things. 
it was just such a wonderful time. The Lord showed us so much grace and was so kind and patient and gentle with us. And then I just fell in love with him. And I started nerding out on apologetics in like 2010, you know, came across RZAM stuff and like really found this intellectual side of my faith that was just so invigorating. I'm like, I didn't even know I had this itch, but I do. And it is so good. And I love thinking about, you know, all of the arguments for God and textual criticism and historical Jesus and suffering and theodicy and all of these things and metaphysics. And uh, that just led me to um, applying for uh, a batch, uh, an undergraduate degree. And somehow the Lord took this ex-junkie and I got to go to Oxford University and <laughs> studied at Wycliffe Hall. And at the same time, attended the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, which was the evangelistic equipping arm of RCM in the UK. And we lived there for three years and it's got to nerd out on the Bible and it was awesome. And uh, got to do evangelism in some really neat places and give talks in Cambridge and, and Oxford and London and, you know, parts of the continent like Belgium and, and so on. And like just had this great time of doing evangelism and, and my wife and I, we were doing some ministry before that with youth. So youth are really close to my heart. We've done youth stuff for nearly 10 years, but that really manifested and, and got mature in the UK. And we were just doing university uh, events weeks and parish missions that we just kind of like incarnationally evangelistically come into a neighborhood in London. And you just like tell everybody about Jesus, you know? And it was great. And then I got, after three years there, I completed both programs and went to Toronto where I joined the RZM Canada team. And it was great. Um, we got to do lots of ministry all over the country from Timmins, Ontario, if anybody knows Timmins. Oh man. <laughs> to like Toronto, you know what I mean? Like it was just and a bunch of places in between, whether it was UBC or uh, Winnipeg and all over the place. We got, we, the Lord really opened up a lot of cool doors. And we got to see so many people come to faith in Jesus, just not knowing as well what apologetics are, what the intellectual side of Christianity is, or right. respond to some of their deconstruction concerns. and. Uh, as as we as we all know, the RZAM season of life dissolved, rightfully so. And I moved out to BC, and from BC, I've been uh, I helped out at a church doing some uh, teaching the Bible class of like what's the meta narrative of the Bible, and also am just completing now my MA in theology, where I get to nerd out on some theology as well. So that's like today with yeah. all of that like all, all of your you know your your traveling and experience in 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 school and then doing different ministry what would you say like right now is man like i'm passionate about blank right now i know that it's it maybe you have your hands in multiple things but what's something that you're like you feel like you're really heading towards or willing wanting to really step into i'm really passionate about two two things i think and they're both derivative from people's questions. So I spend a lot of time sitting down and having coffee with people or like teaching a class or just being in church, just being another person filling up a chair. And I get to have these wonderful conversations, which I do not deserve to have. 
with people that are having questions about various doctrines or, you know, about the Bible itself or about faith and what they're seeing going on in culture and all these sorts of things. And so the two things I'm really passionate about right now that are derivative from those conversations is one, I love thinking about the doctrine of God. And I think that there's a lot of uncertainty and misconceptions and some like muddying of ideas that just need like clarifying. And so I'm like really passionate to like help clarify, like contribute to the clarification of that. Because I think that people just deserve, that are looking at Christianity, deserve something like that. Deserve to have somebody properly articulate and in, in, in a clear and accessible way. And then the other bit is like, is I love just the Bible. I, I'm just so passionate about, I've been on a big Tim Mackey and John Mark Homer thing lately. You guys know those two guys? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bible yep. Project. And yeah, I just... Those two guys really opened up the Bible to me in a way that university did not. University was really just about like deconstructing and dissecting it until it's dead and like laying there lifeless. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. oh man, I thought this was like a beautiful psalm and you're telling me it's some royal apology and it's, yeah, anyways, yeah. that's tangential. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> and so I just... Love these guys that can just like really open it up. And I love to do the same for others because here's, here's the big thing in, in BC at Troy, as you know, a ton of what I encounter is either progressive Christianity or somebody in a state somewhere along the spectrum of deconstructionism. And it's like, cool, man. Like that's, you have the right to think through your faith. That's what, that's what all of us, I feel like a good Christian just thinks through their faith anyways. So I like helping people think through that. And to present to them, not this caricature that I too would probably reject, but rather to present to them the true image, the true picture of what the Bible story is. Because I think the Bible story in and of itself is compelling and beautiful and resonates deeply with with us in our human condition and true. So I I love doing that sort of thing. I'm super, super grateful to, to, um, to have this opportunity, and even for me to get to to get to know you a little bit better, it's been it's been really good. Because um, I, I gotta say, when when you hit my my email and you responded with Wagwan, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> how would he? Know? He knows, like, yeah. so and then so to find out, you're who did Andy hire? Yeah, right, right, right. There was um a question that I had for you in terms of your ministry and how it connects with your story. I mean. Uh, one of the things that you love to speak on is suffering. Yeah, and, that's, that's probably my number one favorite thing. Yeah, because I, I would assume that just hearing your testimony, I mean, there's a lot of suffering yeah. that is involved in all of that, a lot of scars that came from all of that. So I, I just want to hear a little bit more, how does that impact the way you speak on suffering? Mm. Yeah, so it's funny you ask that. So I had a couple of mates of mine in the UK and this was like when I was brand, brand new to the game. And I was like, Hey, like, I think I want to speak on suffering. And they were like, Alonzo, you, this, you need to pause and think very deeply if you want to do that. Mm. And I said, why? And they said, um, if you, if, if you haven't suffered, 
then it's not a good idea that you speak on it. And I kind of like push back a little bit. I'm like, yeah, I got some scars and rah, rah, rah. But after you go through it, it's true. It's true what they said. Mm. Yeah. There is a, there, you, it is requisite that you have a high level of sensitivity yeah. to where they are at. Just patience, gentleness, exceedingly gentle in your approach and being respectful of where people are at recognizing that this is this is going to be a journey for people and what i'm going to present to you could be the first step in your spiritual journey let me show you what the christian response is to evil and suffering i think it's unique i think it's robust i think it's just quite frankly after suffering i think it's the best one on offer if you look at the various worldviews and just that sort of sensitive approach and saying, hey, this has helped me. I think that this is deeply true and presenting it to you and letting you think has, has been my approach uh, when it comes to suffering talks. Yeah, I feel I feel very similar about when I, you know, talking about identity, because I know very often people hear identity and they're like, oh, you got to just know who you are and da, da, da. And it gets very it gets dumbed down pretty quickly and there's some, there is definitely a richness in something about having a, having an understanding of identity that especially in this day and age, how sensitive and careful and gentle you have to be to poke at certain things. Cause it's not just talking about the good components of our, our identity, you know, just the background stuff, but really challenging where people are at. And, um, there, it, that's just that is the gospel, right? That that true, that like Jesus, he made himself so tangible to us, so that when he challenged our way of living, it wasn't like it was ten foot pole. Even the fact that where he was from, where he would grew up, he was someone who was approachable because they didn't see him as this big like they didn't they didn't expect it. And so there's something really special about that sensitivity. And so I, I like, I'm grateful for your story. And I know AC is grateful for your story because there's such an avenue that needs to be touched that, you know, your story is hundred percent unique. Mm -hmm. Your story is special and um, mm -hmm. super grateful to have you on today. I, I we're, we're kind of coming to a close here, but Steve, did you have any, any remarks you wanted to make? Yeah, no, I just wanted to ask you, Alonzo, it, you know, our listeners, if they want to, learn more about you and more about your story. Is there any particular place you would send them to in the digital world or anything like that at all? Or Yeah, they can go to the AC website. Mm -hmm. And if they want to invite me to come and speak, I'd be delighted uh, to come. And I think there's like a list of topics that I love speaking on. And I, I would just be so honored if, if you were to check that out. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I think it's just like Alonzo, Julia, and Paul at both of them. And yeah, I'm pretty responsive. I will respond to DMs and yeah, email me, Alonzo, Julia, and Paul at Gmail. And yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm super friendly and approachable. So don't be intimidated or shy. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us on the show today, Alonzo. It was, it, it's an honor to get to sit with you and get to know you a little better. 
Uh, I pray for the people listening that, you know, anyone who may be of interest who maybe have seen you um, in our adjunct highlight pages or anything like that, that now they can put the voice, the heart to uh, to the face that they've been seeing. Uh, thank you listeners so much for joining us today on the AC Podcast. It is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. So make sure to like and subscribe and reach out to us if you have any questions. You know the email. If you don't, info at apologeticscanada.com. Until next time, you know the drill. Love God, love people. Bye for now.